All right, well, please turn uh, in your Bibles or pull up Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Uh, we're going to continue with where we left off last week. And as you are turning there or pulling that up, I just want to kind of give you, uh, remind you of the situation. So in verse 1 of this chapter, uh, we learn that because of persecution against the church, many of the disciples were seemingly forced out of Jerusalem and were scattered throughout the regions of uh, Judea and Samaria. Uh, the apostles, however, though, remained in Jerusalem. Now, our text picks up where we left off last week. It picks back up with Philip. This is not the apostle Philip. That guy's still in Jerusalem. This is just ordinary Philip that we were first introduced to back in Acts uh, chapter 6, one of the, the servants that was selected uh, to serve the, the Hellenist widows. At any rate, our text also picks back up uh, with seeing the gospel start going to the ends of the earth. We, we've seen the gospel spread in Jerusalem. We've seen it go to Judea. Last week, uh, we saw it go to Samaritans, and Samaritans coming in faith in Jesus and being gifted the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to start seeing in very specific and intentional ways the gospel starting to go to the ends of the earth. Well, let's read our text. Starting in verse 26, this is Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep that was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears, shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And then the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told the Ethiopian eunuch the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all of the towns until he came to Caesarea. The gospel is expanding, and it's an expectation that we should have because Jesus promised that it would back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Luke records Jesus having said to his disciples, you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, our text is a, is a well-known historical and biblical account. This is an account of how God sovereignly spread his gospel in the early church and a record of how God empowered ordinary people to fulfill the great commission. But it's more than that. 
This passage is those things, but it's also an example for us because God is still doing the same things today. Here's the big takeaway from our text. God advances his gospel by using ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit to make disciples of Jesus from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation through the proclamation of the gospel. You see, this passage isn't, isn't really about Philip. This passage is about how God uses ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit to advance his gospel. See, this passage isn't, isn't really about the Ethiopian eunuch either. This passage is about God's desire to save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. All right, so here's the plan. Here's how we're going to approach this passage. We're going to kind of go on a, a street-level tour of the passage. We'll kind of stop here and there to, to point out some, some, some key markers along the way. And, and then once we're done with that, we're going to kind of zoom out 30,000 feet. And uh, I, I want to show us... Uh, three timeless truths from this text that God was doing and is still doing today. All right, so here's the, here's the street level tour. Let's go back to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So God directed Philip to go. God doesn't tell him why. He only tells him where? He's to go to a desert road that goes from Jerusalem in the north down to Gaza in the south. And this is a, a, a road that was not uh, likely traveled by many, many Jews because, because Gaza was a Philistine city. And as you may recall, the Philistines were notoriously not friends with the Jewish people. Nevertheless, God says, go. And verse 27, Philip rose and he went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, Ethiopia in northern Africa was considered the edge of the known world uh, at this point. And so when the disciples heard Jesus saying that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth, in their minds, you couldn't get much more close to the ends of the earth than Ethiopia. Now, Luke records the Ethiopian eunuch wasn't, wasn't just simply on the road, but he was coming from Jerusalem, having gone there to worship God in the temple. And what's more, on the road, leaving Jerusalem, going back home, he's reading a copy of uh, an Isaiah scroll. So what we have here is a God-fearer, a Gentile worshiper of the God of Israel. Now, this man was a twice-over outcast, a, a twice-over religious outsider. First, he was a Gentile, and second, he's a eunuch. Now, we, we might understand why religiously, as a Gentile, he was considered an outsider, but maybe not so much about the eunuch. Well, Israel's law didn't permit eunuchs from entering into the temple. Nevertheless, even relegated to the fringes, this, this Ethiopian eunuch has made the trek to Jerusalem to go and worship the God of Israel at the temple. Let's continue, verse 29. 
And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, once again, God directs Philip, and once again, God doesn't tell him why, but only where. And once again, Philip responds in obedience as a result of God's direction. And he doesn't just go, he, he runs. And, and as he's running towards the Ethiopian eunuch, he, he hears the, the, the man reading from a scroll of Isaiah. In the ancient world, reading was commonly done aloud. And upon hearing those sweet words of Isaiah, Philip realizes that God has, has teed him up an evangelistic softball. And so he, he asks the man a question. Do you, do you understand what you're reading? And very humbly, the Ethiopian eunuch admits that he doesn't. But what's more, he confesses to the reality of, of his inability to understand unless somebody can guide him to the explanation and understanding of it. And so Philip was invited to, to come up and to be his interpretive Sherpa of Scripture, as it were. Now, Luke tells us that the passage that was being read was from what we know as Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 8. And in amongst their conversation about this text, the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, verse 34, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself, about Isaiah, or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, being able to talk about Jesus is, is where Philip prayed that this conversation would go. Now, Isaiah 53 is probably the, 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 the most best-known Old Testament messianic text related to Jesus. And so Philip starts with this text, but he undoubtedly does not stop there. I mean, Isaiah is just rich with explicitly connecting the Old Testament to Jesus. There's a servant who will atone for his people in Isaiah 53, a new covenant is pointed to in Isaiah 54. And the new creation is foreshadowed in Isaiah 54. And then, and then in Isaiah 56, we read promises to outsiders who, in the days that are coming, will be fully accepted, receiving an eternal inheritance and an equal place in the house of the Lord. These, these, these verses are too sweet. Let me, let me read. This is Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord said, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. 
Can't you see in your mind's eye Philip's ecstatic joy to be able to connect the dots for this Ethiopian eunuch, this this twice-over outsider, that through faith in Jesus Christ and what Jesus accomplished in his sinless life, his substitutionary death on the cross and his victorious resurrection from the grave, that this outsider could be made an insider and be given a name better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Let's continue, verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, you can just hear his joy. See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop him. And they both went into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, Isaiah doesn't speak of baptism. So, we can conclude that in connecting Isaiah to the person and work of Jesus Christ, that Philip must have also told the Ethiopian eunuch that the hearing of the gospel demands a response. If you recall at the end of Uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter told those who had heard him preach the gospel and who were cut to the heart that the, the right response to the gospel is this, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, the, the Ethiopian eunuch must have trusted in Jesus and repented of his sins because Philip doesn't hesitate to get into the water with him and baptize him. Now, again, what we are seeing here is the continuation of what we started to see last week. And that is the gospel is advancing. It is going to the ends of the earth. Now, we can't know this for sure, but one of the early church fathers, Arrhenius, wrote in the second century that this Ethiopian became a missionary amongst his people. But, but, but even if that's not the case, the point in seeing this conversion in Acts is to see that the gospel is spreading to the ends of the earth. Jesus is keeping his promise. All right, let's finish the passage. Verse 39. And, and when they, uh, Philip And the eunuch, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, what what exactly carried away means is uncertain. It, It seems that Philip was miraculously transported to Azotus. Now, let's say this. Luke is unbothered to record it, and the Ethiopian is unfazed in seeing it. Look, the Ethiopian is is way more excited about the greater miracle of his conversion. We need to understand that we are going to see some spectacular miracles in Acts, but we see no miracle that is is as, as spectacular as conversion. As a, as a dead man, spiritually dead man, coming to new spiritual life in Christ. All right, so there's the street level tour. Now let's, let's zoom out, and I want to show us three, three timeless truths from this text that, that God was doing and that God is still doing today. 
Here's the first one. God advances his gospel. God, God advances his gospel. God is orchestrating the advance of his gospel. Everything in this account was God's idea. Let's just take sort of a a superficial look back at the text. Listen, it's out of God's missionary heart that he tells Philip to go to a location. This wasn't Philip's idea. He doesn't know why he's going. And it's not by chance that there's an Ethiopian eunuch on this specific road who is headed home, having been to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel at the temple. It's again God who tells Philip to go to the Ethiopian eunuch. And it's not by chance that this specific Ethiopian eunuch has an expensive copy of the Isaiah scroll, and what's more, is actually reading it in that moment, and he is reading one of the most clear messianic texts in the Old Testament. What's more still, the Ethiopian eunuch needs needs help in this moment to understand this particular text, and God graciously provides him a guide. And Philip comes on board to explain the text. Friends, God had a divine appointment for this Ethiopian eunuch to meet Jesus. God orchestrated everything that happened in order for this man on this road, reading this text, to be confronted with the person and work of Jesus and to save him. It's God's plan and God's desire to seek and save a people for himself. We hear God's missionary heart in the words of Jesus when he said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, as of ethnic Israel. He says, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And again, we recall Jesus' promise to disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be, it's a promise, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now listen, what I'm about to say could be said from just about anywhere in Acts, but I'm going to make the point here. The, the greatest missionary in the book of Acts is God himself. The greatest missionary in the book of Acts is God himself, and the same is still true today. God is still the greatest missionary, sovereignly orchestrating the advance of his gospel. So brothers and sisters, we should be be expectant that God will sovereignly put us, like he did Philip, in situations and relationships for the purpose of the advance of the gospel. I think the question is, is are we expectant? Or, or, or is this sort of a surprise? But let me encourage you from this historical account that we should still be expectant that God is advancing his gospel, orchestrating it all, And he wants to use you and me to make that happen. And that brings me to the second timeless truth of our text. God uses ordinary people 
filled with the Holy Spirit to advance his gospel. Remember, this is not Philip the Apostle. Philip the Apostle, that guy, is in Jerusalem. This is just ordinary, average Philip. This is the guy that we got introduced to back in Acts chapter 6, one of the servants that was selected to serve the, the, the Hellenist widows. This is ordinary Philip. He wasn't formally educated. He wasn't an elder. Just an ordinary disciple trained by other disciples. But he's filled with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And he's obedient to God's leading. Twice God calls Philip to go, and twice Philip doesn't hesitate to obey. And friends, God is still using ordinary people today, filled with the Holy Spirit, like you and me, to advance his gospel. Look, we may not have angels appearing to us with explicit instructions, but the Holy Spirit is still leading and guiding and, and, and maybe what's more, friends, we've all been commissioned by the risen Lord Jesus, just like Philip was, to make disciples. The great commission to make disciples is ultimately given to each and every one of Jesus' disciples. Now, family, I, I know when we think about this topic, and in particular when we start thinking about things like personal evangelism, a lot of us can feel like failures and for a host of reasons. And, and let me uh, assure you that I'm not, I'm not sitting up in the high ivory tower and have this all figured out. I'm, I'm in the same boat and need this, this same conviction and this, these same reminders that, that I, like you, have been commissioned. And so having said that, I do want us to, to, to work on conviction, though, here. So some of us are afraid to share the gospel. Some of us are afraid that we're just going to mess it up or that we're going to be caught as not knowing something that we think we embarrassingly should know. Some of us uh, are just afraid of people. We, we crave their approval. We don't want to be seen as that person And, and, and some of us have just concluded that sharing the gospel is, is that thing that extroverts do and, and not me because it just makes me feel uncomfortable. But whatever the reason, some of us are just resisting. For all of us, we are commanded by the risen Lord Jesus to make disciples. And honestly, whatever our reason is, it could just be laziness, selfishness. Seems like a lot of effort. I'd rather have time to myself. Whatever the reason is, friends, if we're not obeying Jesus' command to make disciples, then we need the truth and love that says, you're sinning. This isn't the optional commission. This is the great commission. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you personally have been commissioned to make disciples. And so let, let's all be reminded maybe at this point of two things. One, friends, there is 
immeasurable grace to repent and to receive God's forgiveness. This goes for all sin. God is not looking at us with shame and condemnation in his eyes, wagging his finger, tisking us. There's no hoops that we have to jump through. God in Christ is so desirous and ready to forgive when we repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness. So I just want to encourage you to to go. To go. Your, Your Heavenly Father, he loves you. And he wants to give you forgiveness. And there's grace to go and, and repent and seek forgiveness. Number two, let me remind you of one other thing. And, and I've said this before. This, this won't be new if you've, if you've heard me before. And I will continue to say this until uh, I go home to be with the Lord or until Jesus takes me. God doesn't command us to do something without also giving us his enabling grace to obey it. The command to make disciples is not a graceless command. Look, the command wasn't given to seminary trained, pastorally equipped, seasoned, and mature Christians. It's just given to some ordinary, imperfect people, but ordinary people who were given the promise that the one who commanded them to make disciples, the, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus would be with them, empowering them along the way. And friends, that promise is for us still today. Look, it's it's not a promise that you will have all the right things to say or you'll know every answer. No, the promise is better. It is that Jesus will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. But through the indwelling Holy Spirit, he will be empowering you along the way to be faithful. God still uses ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit to advance his gospel. One more truth. God uses gospel proclamation to make disciples. God uses gospel proclamation to make disciples. The centrality of the word of God and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ takes focus in this account. In fact, what we see time and time again in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament and which is still true for us today, is that God or God's ordained means to save lost souls is through the proclamation of the gospel. This is why Paul said to the Corinthian church that when he first came to them, he did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with brilliance of speech or wisdom, but he decided to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here's the deal. God is pleased to use and add power to the teaching, the simple teaching and the simple preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ through his word to save rebels to his throne. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, Philip's way of connecting scripture to scripture's grand narrative of the gospel of Jesus Christ is is what Jesus believed about Scripture, and is what Jesus taught himself. In John 5, 39, when arguing for his divinity with uh, the Pharisees, Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, 
And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. And then he says, and and yet you still refuse to come to me. And, And then in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27, Jesus tells the disciples that he meets on the road to Emmaus. He says this, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then in verse 27, Luke tells us what happens. And, and it evidently was the, the greatest class on, on interpretation. Here it is. He says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And many, many more passages could be said about how Jesus thought of the Old Testament. Many, many more passages could be, could be referenced about how the, the writers of the New Testament thought about the same thing of how the Old Testament related to Jesus over and over again in Acts. The, the Old Testament story is retold by its defining center, Jesus Christ. Peter did it in his preaching. So also did Stephen. So will Paul in the coming chapters. And and here is ordinary Philip doing the same. Now, no doubt Philip was uh, taught by the apostles or another disciple or disciples on, on how to interpret scripture through the lens of the gospel. And so, friends, I think it's instructive here that, that we too need to learn to do the same. This doesn't come natural. Jesus knew it. That's why he took time and he taught. In fact, if you look in Luke 24, twice over, he, he goes through this in, interpretive course, if you will. Friends, this doesn't come natural. And we need to think deeply and study and learn how to connect Scripture with Scripture's grand narrative of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I never want to assume that everyone has thought of the Bible as as having one grand narrative that centers and culminates on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We often talk about it as the the Bible's redemptive storyline. Biblical scholar Alec Mateer said, the Old Testament is Jesus predicted, the gospels are Jesus arrived, Acts is Jesus preached, the epistles are Jesus explained, and the revelation is Jesus coming again. Simply put, the, the whole Bible is about, is ultimately about, Jesus and his gospel. You see, as as Christians, proper interpretation and application of any part of the Bible requires us to relate it to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's just consider some things from the Old Testament. What was anticipated in the predictions and the laws and the offices of prophet, priest, and king, and the many events in Israel's history, like the parting of the Red Sea or the Passover, uh, manna coming from heaven, and and so on. The institutions of the feast, even the tabernacle itself, the, the list goes on and on. All of these things anticipated, foreshadowed, and pointed to Jesus. As the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 2.17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, family, if we stop short of Jesus and his gospel, then we're not pointing to what God intended the scriptures to point to. I mean, let's let rubber meet the road here for just a moment. If we seek to explain a text to someone, seek to apply the text, and then encourage them towards obedience as though they could do so on their own, even in just subtle ways, We are blind guides leading them to 
towards the snare of moralism and legalism. Keeping the gospel central in our interpretation and application guards us from bad theology and guides us towards good theology. It guards us from man-centered thinking and moralism. And it also helps guide us to glorify God through Jesus and pursue obedience to God as a result of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we need to grow in our skill of connecting any scripture to scripture's grand narrative of the gospel because God uses gospel proclamation to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I mean, we should try to be so familiar with God's word that we can, we can get anywhere in scripture and, and, and get to the gospel. And listen, it can't be understated that the best way to, to gain the, this sort of biblical instinct is to be reading the Bible, to be in it, all of it. I mean, we, we, we need to also just learn strategies on how to get to the gospel and just general conversations. We must get to the gospel because God uses gospel proclamation to make disciples of Jesus. Believe it or not, God wants to use ordinary people, imperfect, ordinary people like, like you and like me, filled with the Holy Spirit to give witness to Jesus through the proclamation of the gospel. This is God's plan to advance his gospel. Friends, God is still on the move. He is still growing his church this account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is, is certainly historical, but it's relevant to us today. God is still doing the same things. God is still advancing his gospel today using ordinary people in ordinary lives where he's placed you and me, filled with the Holy Spirit to make disciples of Jesus from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation through the proclamation of the gospel. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this text. Thank you for preserving this text in our Bibles so that we could know that Jesus was already starting to fulfill his promise of the gospel going to the ends of the earth, even in the early church. This is, this is early on in the book of Acts, and, and here we are. And yet, this is not a, a, a dusty old account. This is what you are still doing today. You are still using ordinary, imperfect people like us to take your gospel forth. And so I just pray, would you give us more grace? Would you give us more grace to, to believe that, to trust you for that, that you are going to be putting us in places? Holy Spirit, would you empower us to just be faithful? Would, would we not walk away from a text like this thinking more about ourselves, but will we walk away thinking a whole lot about you, God, and your missionary heart to seek and save a people for yourself from every tribe, tongue, and nation through ordinary people like us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.